Welcome to 10,000 More, the podcast that explores the topics of grief, mental health, love, and everything that intertwines that all together. I'm Ruby Falk, and whatever it is that brought you to me, I'm very grateful for it. everyone. Welcome back. You might remember in October, I was given the opportunity to sit down with three teens who are involved in Robbie's Hope, um, which is an organization dedicated to cutting the teenage suicide rate in half. They do incredible work to bring awareness to the growing teenage suicide epidemic that we have in this country. And even more honorable than that, they bridge the gap between adults and kids when it comes to having these tough conversations about mental health. The teens do the work. They are the ones on the front lines demanding that adults listen to them and take this crisis seriously. To say I am inspired and instilled with hope by the work they do would be such an understatement. And when I talked to these three teens last time, we casually, like in passing during our conversation, talked about the difference between boys and girls when it comes to showing emotion. One gender is encouraged to, and the other is very much not. I think you all know which is which. So when I record with people, I'll give you guys some some exclusive behind-the-scenes secrets. Um, I take pauses so that I can check in with my guests and make sure they're feeling okay, make sure I'm not pressuring them to talk about something they're not ready to talk about, and and so on. And during one of these pauses, when I was interviewing those teens, I asked the boy in our group, so you never tell your friends when things are difficult for you? And he said, no, we don't do that. We, we will not do that. And I have been fixating on that since October. I know that I'm not presenting any groundbreaking data to you here. Like, yes, we are all aware that women display emotion more than men. But I guess what stuck with me about this conversation was thinking about a timeline for these kids. When does it start for them? When do we start encouraging boys to like toughen up and stifle their feelings and just get over it? I'm so appreciative that Robbie's hope involves teenagers to stop this madness. And today, I got to sit down with teenage activists again to pick apart this topic. Today with me, I have Charlie and Bobby, who are two teenage activists involved with Robbie's Hope. Hi, guys. Hello. Hey. Thank you so much for joining me. Yes, thank you for having us. So I'll let just each of you kind of go um, just to tell me a little bit about yourselves and, and how you got involved with Robbie's Hope. Take it away. So I am a student at Lakewood High School. 
I went to the same school as Robbie, kind of the Kickstarter of the organization we're part of. And um, I was involved with him in a lot of different ways. And it's, um, it's not the first time that, um, that that had happened to, to a close person of mine. And so when this organization kind of started to get created, we, at least me, I jumped on it pretty quick and we wanted to help immediately and try and jump into the, the battle against suicide. Yeah. And what about you, Bobby? So I'm a senior at Golden High School and um, I didn't go to school with Robbie, but I played tennis against him and I swam with him. And so we were pretty close as well. And that wasn't the only uh, experience I had with suicide and it's been a big part of my life. So when this program started happening, you know, same as Charlie, I hopped on it right away because it's important. Yeah. yeah. So what do you, what do you, what does involvement look like for the two of you? What does that mean? So involvement, like for me, um, Robbie was on the swim team that the Lakewood swim team and the Lakewood swim team was super close and he was, um, he was a freshman when I first met him and we, um, the whole team got super close and Robbie was kind of the spirit of the team. He mm-hmm. was super involved and um, he wanted everyone to succeed and we were, you know, he was kind of not the best swimmer, but he was, <laughs> he was awesome to have around. Everyone loved him and so from then on, you know, we were kind of friends, not super, super close friends, but he went to Lakewood and, and I saw him around all the time. And yeah. so um, I'd say we were pretty involved. We had the same base lives almost, like we kind of did the same things. And so we were, um, we were pretty close, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And what, so, but what, and what, how does that translate to what you do with Robbie's Hope? And yeah. so, um, so with Robbie's Hope, yeah. we have the meetings every other Monday. And they're every other week. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And they're always optional. You know, anyone can come and go as they, as they please. But we, there we talk about destigmatizing, um, you know, depression and anxiety and mental health issues, talking about them with each other. And we work to think of how can we, uh, you know, work towards this and how can we destigmatize this and how can we lower teen suicide rates. So it's a lot of talking and open and th- trying to think of how we Dialogue. are going to do it. Yeah. Wow. Every I'm like sh- I did not know it was that's a huge commitment. Yeah. Every other that's really mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and so um, not only do we just kind of focus on destigmatizing, we also talk you know amongst each other, make sure we're all okay. But then we focus on a lot of like how we can spread awareness through our community, and mm. now we're kind of trying to reach beyond our. I guess just small knit community and try and have like a outreach where we can kind of have a Robbie's hope in different areas of the country. Yeah. And so we're kind of working on ways that we could figure out how, what we've created as a group, how we can help spread that and have groups in other parts of the country. Right. Right. Cause I know, I know that the, oops, I just hit the, <laughs> I know that the, the net is, is starting to get a little bit, the network is getting wider. It's not Mm -hmm. just based out of Colorado. I mean, it's based out of Colorado, but we're not just focusing on Colorado anymore, which is awesome. Yeah, the goal is anyone, if they want to, can start their own hope group and start working towards it wherever they are. 
Okay, and will you just explain what a hope group is? Because we talked about it on the last episode, but that okay. was in like October. Okay. So the hope group is the is the group that meets. Um, so you know, the Robbie's Hope is the community overall with the different groups. But you know, everyone lives in different places, mm-hmm. or if we you know spread throughout the United States, different states. So it's the hope group is the specific group that you meet with and do activities for your community and talk, it. discuss it for yourself and your community. Okay. So when you say you get together and talk about you know, depression, destigmatizing, everything like that. Mm. Are these conversations that people are having at school? Like prior to being involved with Robbie's Hope, were these things that you guys were talking about ever? No, not really. Um, it's very rare that we would talk about this outside. You know, maybe if you talk really deep with a close friend, you yeah. can maybe open up about some of the stuff, but rarely it would happen. Wow. Yeah, a lot of it's kind of just like speculation outside of school. Like sometimes, like recently we talked about social media and how that affects our lives as teenagers and developing minds. And um, it was, it was, it kind of challenges your beliefs on, on what the effects are and kind of how it shapes the way people think and how it could also possibly lead to like depression and anxiety yeah. and other things like that. And it, um, the hope group really kind of brings those things up and, and makes us confront them with each other. Yeah. I do also want to say that the social media plague is not just against teenagers. Like I'm, I'm, sure, I'm 31 yeah. and it's really yeah. hard. It's, it's so hard to see people's seemingly perfect lives mm-hmm. and not feel inadequate you know it's definitely had a very negative effect on mental health oh yeah it's incredibly uh, you know wide swept routine to go wake up in the morning and see these you know perfect people and just think less of yourself Mm -hmm. and then that that carries out throughout the day and that can develop into you know worse things like depression yeah yeah absolutely so the way i set this episode up i i wanted to talk a lot about how boys, mm-hmm. I say boys because you guys are kids, mm-hmm. are talking about mental health or are talking about their emotions and their feelings. And I, I want to turn it over to the two of you to address that because I was pretty astonished. No, let me, let me back up. I was not astonished when the teenie who was on our podcast before – mentioned that like he just does not talk about this with his friends like that's not what you do but I just sort of it it like kick-started something in me to think like when does this start when were you guys aware that like no longer can you show emotion do you know what I'm saying yeah I mean for as long as I can remember it's been like I, I haven't been thinking like I can be super open about it you know maybe when I was younger I was able to but for as long as I've had, you know, issues mentally and stuff and had bad emotions, as I can remember I, it was difficult to express them, or at least I felt as it was. Mm-hmm. Maybe it wasn't, but I definitely felt so. Yeah, and I feel like young boys from early on, from birth even, kind of get, they see their role models and they see other men who are the people that they want to be. And since those people do not share emotion and they don't show certain types of emotion, it becomes almost like you can't show your own emotion so that you can be more of what you want to be. And so then showing like emotion. cycle of yeah. like, 
Yeah, yeah. Showing emotion becomes like a an evil thing and works against you almost. And you just, mm-hmm. I feel like you learn that from birth, like kind of just as you grow up. Yeah, you see all these, you know, male like role models and they're so strong and you think that, you know, if they broke down and cried, that'd be, seem weak of them. And so you and yourself, you feel that that's weak of you. And so instead you just bottle it up and don't go outside, but that can make it much worse. Wow. Do you guys, I don't know if this is something you guys talk about in in your hope groups or anything, but, and I hesitate to use this word because I think it is such like a, a buzz word, but we think like toxic <clears throat> masculinity, mm-hmm. which I, I think is instilled in boys at such a young age of like what is okay and what is not okay. Mm-hmm. And learning that it is not okay to share your emotion and what that does to the self, as you guys are both well aware. I mean, you're involved in an organization that is now Mm -hmm. devoted to helping people who felt like they had no other choice. And I just, I don't know. Well, (laughs) yeah, even in things like sports where it's kind of um, more of a competition, it, it really there's almost a benefit to seeming to be more confident and to be more, um, I guess, outspoken, but also more put together almost. Mm -hmm. And so especially with how men and boys are so involved, a lot of them with athletics and in, in other ways like that, I feel like masculinity is, is comes off as a, desirable thing within those sports and I think that um, a lot of athletes kind of learn how to stop showing their emotions to try and maybe even get a leg up or something like that. You think they stop showing emotion altogether? I think that's definitely a part of it or at least showing that they're put together and they're Hmm. even for their own teammates even. Yeah, I guess that can be, you know, they're more a role model if you're put together and you know what you're doing and you seem like you have it all going on, um, then it's a role model for others. So it's, uh, you know, you want to be put together and not be showing so much emotion, even though even you may have that. Yeah. But if you, you know, hide that a little bit, maybe you seem better to others. It seems like it is. But you guys keep using mm-hmm. the word role model. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, like, you're saying, like, boys' role models are that macho, don't cry. Yeah, you know, strong-willed men. I think that's, you know, we grow up with movies and TV shows, and that's what we think of masculinity, and we grow up thinking that that's how we have to be, but, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. Yeah. But I guess it's just the cycle of when, if we think that, then we'll grow up and be strong and try to see them that way on the outside so Mm -hmm. other boys will see us and, you know, copy that actions, and we'll just keep going and going. Well, and even on, like, a small scale, like for – you know, high school sports teams, the captains of the teams a lot of the times are um, more well put together, but also more outgoing. And like when I was a freshman, I, I didn't, I obviously didn't know them as well because I was just coming to the school and I, I remember looking at them and they seemed to have it all figured out and they seemed to, um, they seemed to like know how to react all the time. And so mm. I felt like I, personally started 
acting like that way. Like you're taking way. cues from them. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. And now even like I'm a captain of our cross country team and sometimes I feel like I have to put on a face of like not feeling tired of like or like you know staying motivated or staying like strong or not um not being worried about an upcoming race or anything like that I feel like you know people are looking to you to be the steadfast strong well exactly and even I I notice myself at times where I'm not feeling strong and I'm not feeling um, ready for all that stuff. I, f- I feel myself making it look like I am so that the other teammates around me can also mm. go into that with the same intentions and the same like headstrong attitude which had brought us success before. about role models are you afraid that if you guys are on this mission to like destigmatize mental health and the idea of showing emotion that it is okay for boys and men to do this are you worried mm-hmm. about I don't I don't want to say like pushback but I guess that's the best word that comes to mind for me while you're doing this with uh, among your peers um, honestly, I don't think there's going to be a lot of pushback. I don't think anyone's against talking about this, like, yeah. outwardly. It just doesn't come up. It's not natural to them. Mm. And so we have to, you know, kind of push and make it normal because it's it's not, you know, a bad thing. It's just kind of uncomfortable for most people. But, right. you know, the more we do it, the more comfortable they'll get and the more norm- normal it'll be. And so eventually people won't be as uncomfortable with it. Yeah. Yeah, I'd even say um, people seem relieved when – they get into an That's environment a great word to use. Yeah, yeah where they can talk about their emotions and and once they see other men and other people talking about their emotions all of a sudden they have what yeah. they need to say too and there's always something everyone always has something mm-hmm. seemingly that they have kind of put away oh, absolutely yeah. absolutely That's mm-hmm. yeah i i love the word relieved i think that is so critical and and I think we have a long way to go, like, as a country, as a society, mm-hmm. when it comes to having these conversations. But I, I know that, like, I personally felt relieved knowing that, like, it's more acceptable to have these conversations now than I think they were even when I was in high school. We didn't I'm sure, talk yeah. about stuff like this. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that long ago. I mean, I know I seem old, but it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> and, yeah, I'm just – I'm really stuck – Charlie, on what you said about the fact that this is losing Robbie was not the first loss that you had to suicide. And that, that like, astonishes me. Like, I, when I was in high school, I didn't even think this was possible, for, like, conceivable. And now it is truly an epidemic. And now everyone, kids, know someone who has either died by suicide or a friend of a friend it's just the mm-hmm. web is i'm i'm I, yeah it's yeah yeah and so bobby and i are yeah. are really good friends and so we've both experienced a lot of 
of these things together. And it, it really, I think for us, um, a reason why Robbie's Hope is so important to us, both of us, is because we have had to go through the shock and see see what it does to people and see how it affects not only, you know, the people who have committed suicide, but also the people around them. And it's so, Mm -hmm. I mean, people take terrible directions. And so I think for both of us, I mean, I don't mean to speak for Bobby, but I think it's really important for us to try and and talk about these things. Because I know Bobby and I, you know, we, we will say things to each other, but before we experienced these things, we didn't talk about our emotions to each other that yeah, much. That's true, yeah. Wow. You were talking about that, that web of, you know, a lot more people see these things yeah. and realize that it's happening, but that honestly I don't think is a bad thing. I think it's beneficial because, you know, if we hadn't had this experience, this, you know, heartbreak and the shock of, yeah. uh, you know, two suicides, uh, we wouldn't talk about these things. And right. even if it's not someone close, if you just know about it, maybe that's what will get someone to talk about it a little bit more. Or it can also make people, you know, consider not doing it. Because I know for me at least, I don't think, like, if those two hadn't committed suicide, I would have been a lot more likely to too. Because I had seen the shock that I had, and I'm like, I can't do that to other people. But without wow. that, I wouldn't know that. Wow. Yeah, yeah because you, there's, um, there's a word for it, but when like one suicide happens and then it's not not like a trickle effect but Dumb something effect. yeah kind of yeah. but which does happen mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. in like greater society at least i remember yeah. what was it when um like kate spade died by suicide and then it was like anthony bourdain or i forget who came first and then it was just like so that happens and i think that's mm-hmm. so much more bound to happen in tighter knit communities like high schools where, you know, the two of you don't even go to the same high school and yet you're close. You are involved in the same things. There's so much more overlap in your guys' lives than Mm -hmm. obviously anything that you have to do with like a celebrity. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and I kind of think that in the past when people saw even celebrities um, committing suicide and they were glorified and put kind of on a pedestal. Absolutely. It was, I, yeah, I think that a lot of people desired that, what, that infamy, like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, especially the people already in those places. They, they saw the attention and the the love that you know yeah. these other people were getting, and so I think that they turned to that. But I think now we've focused a lot more on turning it towards how not worshiping those who have possibly committed suicide, but by kind of turning it around on, I don't want to say the audience, but more of like the community and kind of asking questions Mm. to them instead of um, talking about how great and how amazing um, these people were. Yeah. Questions like what? What do you mean turning it to the audience? Well, I would say kind of, like the whole Robbie's Hope thing, it's more of like um, now there are more resources and more, you know, ways to meet with people and more ways to, mm. and I'd say almost it has been a little bit more destigmatized through like I think the frequency even that. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think you're right. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
your female peers are more comfortable talking about feelings and emotions? I mean, do you think it's just how we're conditioned or do you think they have the space, like they're given the grace to get to cry in public? I'm not sure why, but yeah, it's, it's definitely more common for them. And maybe, I don't know what started it, but now that they see other girls cry, it's more normal for them, you right. know, and it's commonplace for them to be able to cry in public. So that goes on. But what started, I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I totally think that it's, it kind of ties back to the whole masculinity thing. Right. And where even, I think, men and boys, they kind of push away not only their emotions, but like even their counterpart females who try and talk about those things. And so I think that um, I think that females kind of are more able to like group together and kind of yeah. discuss. And I think that um, they don't really have a stigma for talking about those things. And, no, not at all. And men want and boys want to talk about those things. A lot of times they do, but just after so long of like trying to, keep it hidden yeah it's it's almost like you have to make yourself vulnerable to yeah to talk about those things and i think that that's scary though the word vulnerable is scary oh, it, it is. takes yes. a lot of courage to be vulnerable mm-hmm. yeah and i i think that um it's just more more common i guess for women to let themselves be vulnerable. I mean, I obviously can't speak for them. I don't. Yeah. No, I'm not. I know that. I think that that's the difference is that they do see people around them opening yeah. up. And mm-hmm. when they open up, there's no bad lashback. When, when as a male, when you try and open up around other people who are trying to hide, they actually even bash that down and right and try and push it away yeah girls i mean it'll definitely they'll jump straight to support and you know right. being there for them but guys at first may be uncomfortable or you know mm. uh, nervous of talking about this stuff and it, it'll surprise them maybe even a little bit so they won't know what to do or what to talk about or how to help right right which is yeah oh that was <clears throat> that's a really good point it's like there are more i want to say consequences to talking about it when you're a boy versus girls don't even think twice about it like they're just like I'm upset I'm gonna call my friend and Mm -hmm. cry whereas not the case for teenage boys (laughs) or men I might go as far to say I I just I don't think I don't think we like allow the space for that to happen I think there Mm -hmm. are more there's there's consequences yeah Mm mm-hmm do you think bullying persists more among girls or bo- like? What do you think? I think bullying um, with boys was probably more physical. You know, as yeah. as kids, you know, the boys have their they get power hungry, the strong guys, and they right. want to just you know they want to take that out on others. But girls, it's definitely there's bullying too. It's just a different form. It's more verbal and gossip and you know. Bad talking other other women and other girls, and but that's you know not as seen as much because that's more behind the scenes. Where yeah. physical bullying with guys is more you know you, you can see that right there. There's bruises, there's punches. It's physical, but you know girls are just behind the back. Yeah. Well, and I also think that it's it's almost a misconception to think that yes, bullying does lead to problems with mental health, but I don't think that bullying is a huge like overarching theme to mental health issues. I think that that is kind of 
a sub branch, but um, I do think that obviously bullying is not a good at all. No, no, no. no I, I don't think you're like endorsing bullying right now. But <laughs> yeah. I, but no, I, but yeah, I, I appreciate that perspective. That I don't, mm. I, I don't think that suicide could be blamed on bullying always. Yeah. Maybe yeah. I mean I'm sure there are instances. Yeah, definitely. Like, but you know, if, if you can get through the bullying, that'll make you a stronger person. Maybe even will help out. You know. And if you can get past the initial, you know, sadness, because I'm sure once you are, if you're bullied, you know, then yeah. there will be an initial sadness and, you know, that might cause some depression. But if you can work through that, then it may be a positive impact. Right. Yeah. It, is social media used? This is for my own curiosity, more okay. so than the podcast. Mm -hmm. Is social media used <laughs> against boys in the same way it is against girls? Yes, Definitely. What do you mean by that? Okay, so when you were describing the way girls bully each mm -hmm. other, it is, um, I want to use the word vicious. Yes. In a way that it is, it is. not with boys. Mm -hmm. And I think that it is um, maybe either whether, whether it's used to post on Instagram of like, photos of everyone going out and like one person is left out and then they know that that one person's going to see it or mm -hmm. do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So trying to make other people jealous and hurting yeah. them through social media. Or yeah. Like and, quote trolling or yes, something like yes. that. Is that, is that like a thing with boys too? Yeah. It's I think like so. crosses mm -hmm. gender. Okay. Yeah. I definitely think that boys try and I will, I, I think social media is like a platform and kind of shows the inherent nature of like how people try and and like show themselves off. Absolutely. And mm -hmm. I think yeah. definitely <laughs> boys take part in it completely. Like yeah. I, there's no discretion at all. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, boys head. definitely do that, yes. Yeah. It just might be more uh, common for girls. You know, it's definitely right. girls like to take pictures and post more. It's very common for that to happen. So yes. <laughs> maybe there might be more with girls, but it's definitely still present with guys. Yeah. That's. So how do you think we affect change? I did it again. I hit the mic. <laughs> how do you think we affect change if, if, if there are these consequences to boys showing emotion? Do you think it starts kind of at the grassroots level with what you guys are doing, which is awesome? Like where, where do we start? Well, a lot of kind of what Robbie's Hope is – also doing is trying to change how we educate people on mm. mental health because I know in high school and especially lower than that in terms of age mm -hmm. it's, it's taboo to talk about mental health right. in the classroom setting and I think that a lot of it is educating younger people on what mental health is and totally. what what it can become and so then when they grow up it's not foreign to them. Yeah, and definitely the education is a huge issue, but also with destigmatizing amongst teens. Oops. Uh, yeah, it happens. Um, amongst teens, I feel like it has to start from the grassroots level because if you totally. just talk to your friends, maybe you can get them to destigmatize and be okay with talking about it, then they can move on from that. But if you try to make it a bigger thing and say, right. hey, everybody, let's be open and talk about this, then you're a lot more vulnerable and able to be like, no, we're not going to do that. That's weird. 
Yeah. But if you just start it slowly and it spreads out, it can emerge a lot easily. But you say there's, it's taboo to talk about in the classroom setting. What do you mean by that? Like like, your teachers won't talk about it or will they like send you to the, a counselor? Well, they, yeah, it's, well, and even just teaching about how mental health works, it's almost like teachers think that they're kind of polluting the minds of like younger people and, and like my mom, she's a fourth grade teacher and she, she tries to talk about it because, you know, she's been involved with that stuff too, but it's Mm. a really touchy subject and, and she's not in the best area in terms of, of income. And so there are some kids who have some, some pretty hard lives and, and it seems like it's a relevant thing to them even in fourth grade, but Absolutely. it's totally, um, it's almost, it's almost inappropriate in, yeah. she feels like in that setting to bring that stuff up and to just talk about it. Like they're to, too young to mm-hmm. hear about it. Exactly. Yeah. I think a yeah. lot of people still think that if you tell a kid about suicide and he doesn't know of it beforehand, which most kids do these days, but if they don't, then people think that they're going to go try that yes. and think about it and be a lot more involved when actually they're already thinking about that probably. Most right. likely people already know about this, so it's worth the little bit of exposure to talk to them about it to help them through these things. Wow, yeah. That, yeah, that's a really, really good point. I know we ta- I talked about it on the last episode that, you know, it's been proven that you openly talking about suicide and mental health isn't going to, like, push someone over the edge to actually go through with it and do it. Like, that mm-hmm. has been disproven yes. as, as mm-hmm. an excuse for not talking about mental health. Um, yeah, and I, I, I wonder when we'll be over that yeah. as a society. Yeah, and I think that, like, most people find out through personal experience, which is terrible. I, mm-hmm. like, um, I know I, you know, I just heard about it happening in my, or not even hearing about it, but it happened in my life, and it totally shocked me, and, and it was not the best path of, of where I could have been prepared and where I mm-hmm. would have known and been ready and for my own sake, like being educated about what happens and how and and just that suicide is such a relevant thing that um, yeah. I was just totally blindsided. Yeah, like I know, like when I was younger, before I had any, you know, experience before either um, people I know that committed suicide, before that happened, um, like a girlfriend of mine had some mental health issues and had attempted suicide a few times, but I hadn't been immersed to it at all besides just hearing about it. I hadn't been taught about it, and so I didn't know how to approach that, and I, I couldn't help her through those things. I didn't know how to. Yeah, all I'm thinking about right now is that I... I, I don't know how you even, like, I think it's so cool that you guys are trying to, like, prepare, not, I don't want to say prepare for the next time this happens, because, you know, God forbid, mm-hmm. but, like, be more proactive, because from my perspective, it's like nothing could have prepared me for the loss of my dad, and no matter how, I mean, I was an adult at the time. Like I was aware, I knew that he had mental health struggles. Like I, I knew, but it's, mm-hmm. it's just like, I think it's so admirable that the two of you are, are, are trying to just be so proactive in terms of like, I don't know, preparing and, mm-hmm. and 
knowing what to do if you potentially hear that someone is considering or has attempted or, you know, what have you. It's Well, and we've both had and currently have lots of friends who are currently experiencing mental health problems. And yeah. I think it's important to to look at it a certain way and that there are a lot of misconceptions going into the concept of of suicide and I think like it's important to know how to like go about treating those things because there there is a lot that yeah people can do and there are a lot of things that people can you know do the right way yeah. to definitely try and help with those people. Yeah, like I know uh, this education quick because I know at least my hand, I think Charlie as well, but I can't speak for him. Uh, I've gotten a phone call from a friend that's considering or, you know, going mm-hmm. through the process or, yeah. you know, wants to, and then we had to talk him down or, you know, wow. help him through it. And without the education, I don't know if we'd be able to do that. Wow. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's, I can't imagine dealing with that as an adult, let alone a kid. Um but when you say misconceptions about suicide, what do you mean? I think I know what you mean, but explain. Well, a, a big misconception is that, like, something has to be super messed up in someone's life or it has to be totally, that like, is, there has to be a huge reason why yeah. someone would be depressed. And, and once that thing or that reason gets fixed that your mental health goes back to good totally mm-hmm. and or that you can like manifest your own happiness mm. by just thinking you know oh i have a good life oh i'm i'm happy and those yeah. those thoughts don't heal you it's like if you have a broken arm you can try and move your arm and you can think <laughs> about moving your arm but mm-hmm. that's not going to make it heal and it's not going to make your arm work again mm-hmm. yeah it takes time. Yeah. I, yeah. I, that was something that really concerned me. Well, there were, there was a, a plethora of thoughts that ran through my mind when I found out that I lost my dad was that what people think someone is like who killed themselves. You think like they must have the most mm. messed up ho- life at home you think that like they're very dark. You see them like they're just this like depressed, crazy, dark person that you would like pass on the street. And it's so not the case. Mm-hmm. And I I worried that me being open about how I lost my dad was going to make people think that like he had this he did have demons. I mean, he he had a rough life growing up mm-hmm. and and you know, into adulthood, obviously, but I was so worried what people were going to think of him and like of us and our relationship and him as my dad and him as my, you know, my mom's husband. Like, mm-hmm. what was that going to, how were people going to like perceive me? Um, and I, I just fully agree with you that like I, I think the misconception surrounding suicide and who it affects is frightening and dangerous. I mean, yeah, that that misconception, you know, with suicide, they can, you know, 
haunt someone's you know thoughts and what we think of them if we think that they were so their life was so much more messed up if it wasn't but even with depression before suicide or anything that misconception hurts a lot too because you know you think oh kids with depression should have awful lives I have a great life why do I have depression and right. so you bottle it up feel like you don't have it I, I did this yes. I know myself I feel I don't think I should have this there's no reason for me to so you don't think you do and it just gets worse and worse yeah mm. Yeah, and and you feel like you almost don't even deserve to talk about it. Like mm-hmm. you, mm. you, you don't go through what a lot of other people go through, and so it's almost like you, you have to be the one who can deal with it versus yeah. those who are less fortunate mm-hmm. and are having more troubles. I talk I talk about this exact concept a lot on pretty much every episode of this <laughs> podcast, which is the idea of silver lining, where you're like, everything is great. Like, it could always be worse. Like, mm-hmm. yes, it could always be worse. And it is wonderful that you, the two of you, you know, acknowledge your privilege and the blessings in your life. But at the same time, that doesn't take away from the fact that you're hurting or you are struggling. And it doesn't mean you're, like, not allowed to struggle or have mm-hmm. hardship just because you are blessed in so many other ways. Um and I, I think we do ourselves such a disservice to like, I, I'm guilty of that. Like I, mm-hmm. I say stuff like that all the, and even t- this is like so crazy, but I've talked about this with people I've had on the podcast. I, you mm-hmm. know, people whose stories of loss that are like worse than mine or they've lost more people than mm-hmm. I have. So I'm like, ugh, I don't even get to be sad. I don't deserve to be as sad as, which is yeah. like crazy, but yeah. it's very real. Yeah. And I know like with, you know, when we experienced suicide, I thought maybe I shouldn't feel bad right now because there are people that were closer to them mm. that are feeling much worse. So yeah. why should I be feeling so awful? Yeah. And also, I know there are a lot of people like we have um, a hope group and we, we have Robbie's Hope. A lot of people um, feel like they can't even attend Robbie's Hope because I've I've asked probably 20 different people, you know, why don't you go to Robbie's Hope meetings? Why don't you come to our hope group? And they just say, oh, well, I didn't know Robbie. I didn't, you know, mm. I don't have a connection with him. And that's totally that's not, not what, what we're here for. Not yeah, so if you're thinking about coming to Robbie's Hope, yeah. definitely show up. That was a good plug. That was a and, beautiful transition. Yeah, and I think that a lot of people think that, like, the the only way to talk about mental health is to, like, get in a circle and everyone talk about their feelings and yeah. open up emotionally and, like, totally like make themselves vulnerable and that's not really how it goes in Robbie's Hope. Yeah, we have we have points where people can choose to open up, but a lot of it is more just like assessing how what problems are and and how we can solve them in our like daily lives and not like hmm. we you don't have, like there's nothing to to like be vulnerable about talking about these things. You don't right. have to um, you don't have to go out there and show yourself right. to everybody. You just it's it's good to talk about right. just the subject mm-hmm. itself even. Yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that's a big important part of destigmatization is that it doesn't have to be an intense, difficult therapy sure, session and talk right. with a huge group. It can just be casual. Right. And you can just bring yes. it up in normal conversation and then move on. Absolutely. And even something, as you guys just said that, I was even thinking like if someone doesn't have a connection to suicide or a connection to maybe they've never experienced 
mental a challenge in mental health or someone in their life with a problem with mental health like mm-hmm. even just that act of solidarity of just going and being like a supportive person who's just like you know this has never been an issue in my life but like I'm here for you I'm here to support you I'm like I am a I'm a safe person to talk to you know mm-hmm. yeah and it's 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 kind of hard because a lot of people always say like, oh, I'm always here to talk. I'm, I'm always here to help. I can totally help you. And they definitely mean it in the most, you know, in, with the best intentions. But sure, yeah. a lot of times that connection of like, like people don't think that, you know, those other people will understand. And I think it's important to understand that it's not like it doesn't have to be a secret and you don't have to only talk to people who have gone through the same thing. Mm, you really can mm-hmm. reach out to anybody. You guys had such, such awesome insight. Um, I feel like you really wrapped it up nicely with that little plug for Robbie's Hope. Yes, but that was I, good. <laughs> that was really good. That was a good place to end. But do you have anything else to, to impart on our listeners or anything to say? Any final thoughts? Um, well, I would say... If you know someone who's struggling and you know someone or you personally are struggling, it's hard to open up and it's hard to um, get yourself or get other people talking. But if you confront something head on and, you know, it doesn't have to be super serious at first, but, you know, you can just say like, hey, how are you doing? Or, you know, go up to a friend and say, hey, I'm not doing great. Mm. You can totally, once you get past that barrier... Um, it's so easy to talk and it's so easy to open up and it feels so good. And it's a lot of the time that that's all people need. And so, yeah. um, just try and get over that, that first barrier. Yeah. And that's, that's mm-hmm. the hardest part. Yeah. Totally. But once you're over it, the help you need will likely come. Yeah. Well, guys, thank you so much for your insight and your, your involvement in everything that you are doing, um, with Robbie's Hope and, and beyond. I, I am so appreciative and I know that I, I speak on behalf of our listeners and the greater society when <laughs> I say thank you. Um, and thank you guys so much for joining me today and, and sharing your stories. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.